resources are being cut and the public is being told that we're spending more on education than we ever have, which is uh, technically true. The amount we are spending on education has increased over the years, but it's a smaller percentage of our budgets over time because of inflation. So according to educationdata.org, the GDP has is growing 71.6% faster than public education budgets. So we are we're giving students and children less and less and less year after year after year, but telling the public that we're spending more. I don't know why our elected officials don't seem to understand the importance of properly compensating our educators. I mean, you have to listen to this word educator, what that really translates to. Teacher, this this whole journey is about learning. You know, you get up every day, and the best thing about it, regardless of your demographic by age, is you learn something. When you stop learning, you stop living. But it's the system, it's the structure. Teachers are left alone to deal with behavior problems, Parents can be antagonistic. And the sad thing is, is you have students who are there who want to learn. These kids with all these challenges that we are not equipped to handle. We're talking trauma, we're talking emotional damage, hunger, poverty, and we're told to focus on educating them when they're dealing with things that we're just, we're not equipped to handle. Hello everyone, my name is Lou Palumbo. I'd like you to refer to me as Lou, so we're a little less formal. This is Between the Lines, and this is a show that it's pretty much dedicated its energies towards our children. As we're all very well aware, we are having a lot of contention and and division and um, just separation and idea. And as I mentioned numerous times, and this is just food for thought, when you start to engage with people, even if you disagree, please remember the importance of civility and decency. That seems to have left the conversation, so... I do want to just tell you, we're here to look at the heavy lifts in the culture today, the borders, the crime, major cities, the economy, the cost of rising fuel and commodities, Uh, willing to speak to China a little bit, how we empowered them starting back in uh, Nixon administration with Henry Kissinger, what they represent to us today, the potentials. I prefer not to get too political in discussion of topics because it lends itself to division, contentiousness, you know, and we have to be very careful of the rhetoric because as we are well aware, you know, the rhetoric today coming out of some of the media and some of the elected officials is inflammatory and counterproductive. We're living in times where we need to heal this country and we're not doing that. And the real tragic part of this discussion is this all translates to our children. In fact, we're in a very interesting phase right now in a discussion regarding education in Virginia. And once again, it's brushing up against our children. And as we all know, stay away from our children. They should never be part of your politics, your agenda, your misguided thought process. I could give you my own personal uh, opinions regarding the educational process of which I benefited from greatly. I went to 16 years of Catholic school. I graduated St. John's University. Don't get the wrong idea. I was not a blistering student. I was barely interested. I was very distracted by sports, uh, unfortunately. Hindered my education. I don't think it stifled my growth through life. I learned a lot from it, which now translates to my children. The emphasis of education. Cannot overemphasize. The thing that's interesting, though, about um, Virginia is that we're highly concerned about what children are being taught there, and rightfully so being expressed by the parents, I might note. 
We're not having much discussion about the minority children in this country and the importance of education. The fact that we're doing nothing either side of the aisle to facilitate this process in their communities, which is essential to employment, which, by the way, unemployment translates to crime. So another discussion for another day, perhaps, but I just want to give you a little food for thought. I caution you and I remind you, do not be spoon fed by anything I say or for that matter. Anyone that sits in any of these 24-hour news cycles, at times they're no more better informed than the man than the moon. And at times they relied on people like myself who in certain uh, fields are considered to be experts. Like, for example, security. That's why they quantify me. I don't quantify me that way. I'm just another knucklehead out here making my way through doing the best I can possibly do. But with all that being said, I want to move on with the show. I do want to thank uh, Buzzsprout and Instacart two incredibly user-friendly mechanisms. I'm just going to touch on them briefly. Instacart affords you the luxury of ordering commodities from supermarkets and having them delivered to your home. They work. I know. I use it. Buzzsprout, if you're entertaining your own podcast, this is the mechanism you should look to employ. We use it. So we will speak about them a little further, but I do want them to both know um, how, how grateful we are that they picked up as sponsors. I remind you, you can find us at BetweenTheLines.tv. We are on Apple and Spotify, and you can also catch us on YouTube. So, without further ado, I do want to go right into our first question today. I believe, if one of the producers of the show has informed me correctly, a young lady, Claire, from Wichita, Kansas, that is, is going to call into us, and we're ready for her call if she's ready for us. Hello. Lou, hi. This is Claire from Wichita. Hello, Claire. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. And I want to ask you a really interesting question right out of the gate. Sure. Are you born and raised in Wichita? Yes, I am. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I, I've actually, I love it here. I've been to Kansas, a wonderful state. I unfortunately haven't had the luxury or the opportunity um, to visit Wichita, but I've, I've traveled quite extensively. Claire, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I own a private security group. We're very boutique, but we've been very, very successful, and I've had the good fortune of traveling all throughout the United States for the most part, and even on an international scale. But um, born and raised there. Now, what about school? What about school? I went to K-State. I stayed, you know, I stayed local. and um, I did too. I think Wichita is a hidden gem, so I'm really happy to be here, and I hope not too many people will go check it out. <laughs> Stop talking about it, Claire, if you don't want them to know about it. Exactly. <laughs> you're letting exactly. it out. You know, you know you're right about that. There are some places, they're like little hidden, they're like secrets. I can tell you um, through my journey, especially in law enforcement, we had uh, law enforcement municipalities that nobody knew how good they were. 9-11 put them on the map. I'm hoping this conversation with you today doesn't put you on the map too much, and we have too many people unwanted <laughs> gravitate towards your little your little hideaway there. So, um, I do want to ask you what what is on your mind. Well, Lou, I wanted to thank you for having me on. Um, I'm a loyal listener to your podcast, and I really appreciate that on every single episode you say that everything is ultimately about the children, right? Every single episode you say that. So I was listening to your latest podcast, and I was really surprised to hear you say that you couldn't believe Pete Buttigieg was taking paternity leave. I mean, here's a leader in our country setting a great example of putting children first. 
And I believe he did this knowing he has a strong team in place and he is still accessible to them. So my question for you, Lou, is why are you so critical of this? The well, paternity leave? I, a, that's a great question, Claire. And I want to just clarify the context in which it was made. I think that is a good example that we invest in our children. Uh, there are two, what we, what we call tangential issues. One happens to be an urgent matter that we're dealing with in transportation, of which he is the Secretary of Transportation. And I would certainly encourage all parents, regardless of gender or family dynamic, to um, embrace this practice of maternity leave. My concern, Claire, for clarification, wasn't the fact that he did it. It was the duration in which he did it and the fact that it was coinciding with a real serious issue that we have with container ships that are staged off the coast of California, for example, in large numbers, which is impeding uh, and inhibiting products getting into this country that I don't know if they're essential because I don't know what's on every container ship, but it has a kind of ripple effect into the drivers, which we no longer need because we're not putting them on trucks. But I, I do not want you to come away with the fact that I do not support paternity leave or maternity leave. I think they're crucial, especially when children are first introduced into this world. And I spend an enormous amount of time with my children, an abnormal amount, to be very honest with you. I won't elaborate <laughs> why, but there's nothing more important than our children. And when they, got, when they judge me, they're going to judge me by my children. So I do not want you to take that um, perceived criticism uh, as something that is undermining the process of maternity or paternity leave, because that wasn't the intention. I just think two months is a little bit unreasonable when you are a cabinet head and the president of the United States. Now, I want to give you a little further insight onto myself. I, I protected cabinet members of the executive office, or pre president's cabinet members. I won't get into who, but it was under Bush and Obama, and it's quite an honor. And I have to tell you, I mean, I was thrilled to work with the federal government that they would trust me with the safety of people that the president put into place. So I am well aware of the importance of the institution, which is why I expressed the concern I did not over the fact that he took a paternity leave, but the manner in which it was structured for, for what I consider to be an extended period of time in light of, a, of what I consider to be a borderline dire circumstance. So I hope for yourself, for you, Claire, that that cleared this up. I never want you to come away thinking that I don't think children are important because it's all I live for today. Mine, yours, and the rest of them on the planet. I've had an incredible journey. I'm not going to get into it. And now I'm hell-bent on making sure when I leave here that this is a better place and we have a future for our children. So I hope that answer clarified for you. And that definitely did. Definitely yeah. did. And I, I'm not. I want to ask you a question, my dear. So, what is your perception about the duration of the paternity leave by the Secretary of Transportation in light of circumstance? Well, Lou, you're absolutely right. We have a dire supply chain issue going on right now. And Buttigieg is the Secretary of Transportation. So ultimately, he's, you know, he should be on top of all of this. However, I firmly believe that he has a strong team. He put together a strong team. He feels confident in his team that they can handle it. And as I said earlier, he is accessible in case of emergency. So, um, so that's where not to controvert that, though, but apparently um, and this is coming from multiple news sources, not just the conservative knuckleheads, but the liberal knuckleheads <laughs> that and they're both knuckleheads just for the record. Um, 
it's not being managed properly. And I do want to say one thing. In fairness to the Secretary of Transportation, the way the, struc- the society is structured today, Claire, we can, we can manage, operate, and oversee from almost anywhere on the planet because of technology. So I right. don't really want to be um, critical of, of, of Budapest because he took the maternity. I think he was more than capable. He's, he's an incredibly intelligent young man. I listened to him speak over the weekend. I believe it was with Meet the Press. He is smart. He's articulate. I do have an issue with him, though, and I'm going to tell you what it is in a second. And I do think he has the capability of multitasking. The, the pro- part of the problem today, Claire, and I think you'll understand this, is that optic, you know, it's what we see, what we perceive. Our knowledge has much of its origins in what we perceive. So the optic wasn't good. You see what I'm saying? And I wish that he had spoken up a little bit more and said, listen, I could be on Pluto and help manage this process. We didn't do that. You see, you have to know how to manage these situations as well. And I'm a little surprised because he is a highly intelligent, articulate individual. Now, I'm going to tell you the rub with him. You ready? I'm ready. He went after Klobuchar during the primaries. I watched all the primaries. And his complaint with her was that she supported English as our language. He was uh, an opposition of that. And I don't want to get political or contentious, but in deference to the fact that English was the language that was here when we established the country, absent of the indigenous people, which is another tangential discussion. I have Indian ancestry, Cherokee, from my mom, who was from uh, Scotch-Irish and Cherokee Indian from Arkansas. Go figure. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just think that, you know, the optic was not good. And as I was saying to you, he went after Amy Klomashaw, who probably should have been heavily considered to be the vice president based on packaging and credential and IQ. And, and I really took exception to that. And I take exception to anyone that balks at the fact that our um, adopted, accepted language is English. And that does not lend itself to an unwillingness to help other people assimilate into the culture. You know, while we're on this topic, Claire, and this is just, again, conversation you can respond to, we have a lot of different ethnic groups and cultures gravitating towards the United States, and we clearly understand why. A lot of people are seeking what you and I have. They're seeking what a lot of Americans take for granted, by the way, but you know, we, we seem to be preoccupied with accommodating the needs of only one language constraint with the migration process. And that's a little disconcerting. Uh, to give you a little insight, my grandparents were from Italy on my father's side, which is why you probably entertain my mother with Scotch-Irish and Cherokee Indian from Arkansas. <laughs> You're with me now, Claire? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> and, and everyone wanted to learn English. And that's great. Never abandon your native tongue. I think that's wrong to do. I think it's important that you communicate that to our children moving forward so they have more tools at hand when they're navigating the world. But today, and I can tell you this firsthand, I came out of New York City, there's a reluctance to assimilation, and the system is failing some of the minorities by not helping them facilitate this. You know, There's a whole other discussion about how we've compartmentalized the minorities in America, and we're content to let them kind of soak there. Claire, I, I want to take a quick break, and I want to come back, because this is a really good conversation, and I like the fact that you question what I say, because that's important. And again, the most important thing in, in an exchange is the civility and decency, which I think you will agree, has left the conversation 
with some of our elected officials, both sides of the aisle, and some of the media, regardless of their misguided political affiliations, because as you and I both know, they shouldn't be extensions of our political parties. We're going to be right back, guys. I do want to thank Instacart, Buzzsprout, our sponsors. Find us on Spotify, Apple, and you can go to betweenthelines.tv, and I encourage you to participate. Please call in. Please send emails, whatever it is that will help stimulate your thought process, because we're in an interesting time in America. I would say it's a crossroad. We're going to be right back, guys. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to our betweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home, the comfort of your home. Just pick out the items you'd like. They'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to. Another great concept, very user-friendly, and I'll be honest, we use it also. It's very effective, and they're very, very good. They're very uh, on point. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with a young lady from Wichita, Kansas, and as I hear, is a wonderful place and a, I would say, protected gem. Claire, who is a teacher, interesting, one of those people who is important in, in molding and forming the minds of our children, the, perhaps no more important role in America and a very undervalued role. In fact, a career that's in crisis right now because we're losing teachers for a myriad of reasons. And probably Claire could speak to that if you would so choose, Claire. What's going on with teaching today? Well, people are just not coming in and people are leaving. Um, We have had many early retirements in my district. We have, I mean, we're in Kansas, granted, so we don't have a huge overflow of people coming to Kansas, but um, we've had a challenge trying to fill positions, all sorts of positions. Why, Claire? What's what's the impetus to this exodus and this reluctance to take on what you've taken on as as a teacher? What's what's going on there? Well, Lou, I definitely think this was becoming an issue before the pandemic, but the pandemic certainly heightened it. Um, You know, people were afraid to come in and teach in person. we wear masks, which I think is very, very important to protect both teachers and students. But um, as you know, last year we weren't in schools and it caused a really big divide and teachers were just really rethinking their careers and putting their lives in danger and all of that. Now, I think I prioritize being with my children and teaching my children. I think that's, as you said, like the number one thing that we can do. But um, but more and more people don't feel like they're valued. You know, the compensation is really a joke in in other countries. Teachers are much more valued than they are in our country, which I think is very sad. I think we take the educational uh, process for granted. And and I agree with what everything you've said, Claire. I think you guys are underappreciated and undercompensated for the amount of responsibility that you bear. As I mentioned to you a couple of seconds ago. My immediately older sister is in charge of two private schools in New York City. And, um, you know, she's been in the educational field for more years than I can remember. 
and I hear from her as well, um, the problems that you guys are facing. And, you know, I don't know why our elected officials don't seem to understand the importance of properly compensating our educators. I mean, you have to listen to this word educator, what that really translates to teacher. There's not, this is, this whole journey is about learning. You know, you get up every day and the best thing about it, regardless of your demographic by age is you learn something. When you stop learning, you stop living. I don't know if we have any light at the end of the tunnel just at this point. I do want to say one thing though. You mentioned masks and, um, you know, a lot of what's gone on in the country today, especially with this virus, Claire, and I'm sure you're aware of this, we chose to politicize it and weaponize it, okay? Whether or not you like Donald Trump, you didn't like Donald Trump, it's not appropriate to take something as serious as a pandemic and use it to undermine the credibility of a presidency. That's just not what we do. And while I'm saying that, I want to say this. I'm listening to certain media outlets scoff and make fun of the president who fell asleep in a climate accord yesterday. That's just not who we are. You see, this is what's wrong with the country. A lot of times in life they say it's not what you say, but how you say it. We're just on the wrong page in many ways. I don't know what we're going to do about this teaching issue. As you're probably aware, Claire, we're losing nurses too. No one wants to work as a nurse. No one wants to be in an ER. They're like battlegrounds. We're losing, exactly. we're losing police officers also. I don't know if Wichita or Kansas overall as a state is as supportive, for example, of law enforcement as they are in Florida. And while I'm mentioning Florida, I'm going to bop on a tangent. The, the governor here had no mask mandate, no vaccine mandate. And I think this is one of the lowest, if not the lowest transmission rates in the country. So there's something to be said about this. But the concerns of the teachers about the transmission of the virus in the classroom was certainly legitimate. The thing I do want to say to you that you might find interesting, Claire, there's plenty of technology that's available to us that we could create a somewhat more sterile environment. So you could have gone into a, um, a classroom and taught as many children as you wanted. All they needed to do was integrate with the HVAC systems or introduce these portable units, and they literally sterilize the air. Again, costs money, the things we value more than anything on the planet, but... Um, I did want to ask you about that, and I, I have to be honest with you, the producer of the show, who's just pain in the backside, <laughs> he's nudging me <laughs> to move on, but I want to give you an opportunity to pose a last question or comment. To you would like me to pose a last question or to comment? You? It's a, yes, absolutely. Well, okay, I do have I do have a comment, um, and that is once again, you have emphasized that you believe everything ultimately comes down to our children, and I really appreciate that, and I, I thank you for for reiterating that and every single show that you do. Thank you. I'm in a gun battle to make sure that our children, all of them, have have a future. I'm in a gun battle, and I haven't gotten to this crossroad yet to make sure that the educational standards in minority communities are elevated to where children go into classrooms to learn, not to maintain order, and where their streets are safer, and their diet is better, and their housing is better, and their medicine is better. We're on a mission with this show, and we're gonna, you know, I, I always say walk before you run, but please know how important our children are. That's the future of this country. And in the same breath, I'm prepared to help take care of other people along the way. It's something I've just been doing for my whole entire life. I want to thank you so much, Claire. I encourage you to call back in. We'll be right back, guys. We're going to take a quick break. 
If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to our betweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home, the comfort of your home. Just pick out the items you'd like. They'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to. Another great concept, very user-friendly, and I'll be honest, we use it also. It's very effective, and they're very, very good. They're very uh, on point. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to move on to our next caller, young lady, Helen from Charlotte, North Carolina. Hold on, please. Hello. Hi. Is this Lou? It is Lou. Is this Helen? Hi. Yes. I was waiting for you. (laughs) Thank you for taking my question. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, Okay. So I'm a public school teacher. I've been teaching for 13 years. I taught for 13 years in Las Vegas, and just uh, this year I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm currently teaching. So over the years, I've seen increased cuts to spending on education, increased workload and micromanagement of teachers, increased animosity towards public schools and educators, and what I have not seen is an increase in student performance as a result of these trends. So I left my previous district because of abuses, but things aren't really any better here. About 500 teachers, actually more than 500 teachers have resigned from my current district since August. Um, My question is, why is civic leadership and the public unwilling to support schools and listen to educators doing the work? And essentially, why are we okay with giving our children less and less year after year? Well, I can give you a really interesting answer to that because our civic leaders, our elected officials are too busy rhetorically cutting each other's throats, Helen. That's part of the problem, number one. Number two, they seem to lack the ability to make an appropriate assessment of the educational system, edu- educational system, excuse me, and, and support it accordingly. You know, it's really not a complicated answer. As in many areas, we've taken our eye off the ball. You're just bringing up another one. You know, we're, we're experiencing what I would consider to be massive systemic failure. Yeah. At the same time, we're letting people cross into the country who aren't vaccinated, by the way, who are vaccinated by option, 20% of whom they have identified as infected. We're not taking care of the elderly, the homeless, mm-hmm. the mentally ill, our children, we're not taking care of our teachers. We don't compensate you guys properly. Yeah. I mean, you guys are in a war zone at times. Listen, I know exactly what you deal with. By the way, my sister was a school administrator in Charlotte at Door Academy. She's oh, she, Yeah, okay. and she's in Vegas right now, by the way. And she's still involved in the educational system. She's running two private schools in the city of New York. Hmm. But the, the long and the short of it is you guys are just being undervalued as we do all the essentials. We don't properly compensate your cops, your firemen, your nurses. Oh, that's right. Let's include your teachers in this conversation. Why yeah. in God's name would we omit you from the neglect? We, this is how short-sighted we are. And yeah. I don't know what to say, but we need to elect officials that do not live in a cocoon or in a bubble who send their kids off to schools with Secret Service agents or other security people 
so that they can learn in safe environments and in these private environments. We're making real strong reference here, correct me if I'm wrong, Helen, to the public school environment, which universally sucks. Let's stop the bull. Yeah. Across well, the country. It's problematic. But you, you, you go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Claire. I mean, um, yeah. um, go ahead, Helen. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to point out uh, Please. Add on to what you're saying. Class sizes are large. Um, resources are being cut. And the public is being told that we're spending more on education than we ever have, which is uh, technically true. The amount we are spending on education has increased over the years, but it's a smaller percentage of our budgets over time because of inflation. So according to educationdata.org, the GDP has is growing 71.6% faster than public education budgets. So we are we're giving students and children less and less and less year after year after year, but telling the public that we're spending more. Yeah, I mean this this dynamic that exists with teachers is I would say critical at this point. I'll I'll make you laugh. There are okay. communities in Florida that on major roadways, they're advertising for teachers. Mm-hmm. I speak with my sister all the time. You know, depending on where you are, it's like a war zone with these children. I mean, I was a law enforcement agent. I know. I also came out of a minority neighborhood in Brooklyn called Bedford-Stuyvesant. I, I happened to go to 16 years of private school. I went to 16 years of Catholic school okay. um, and benefited from it. My father, who did not have a lot of education, who... Uh, he quit school in the sixth grade. He was 12 years old because he was out supporting his mother and uh, and, and siblings. He had 11 siblings. Um, mm. Still realized the importance of it and took the time and spent the money to put me into a uh, private school system. The public mm-hmm. school system, you guys are just going without support. And that's on many levels, uh, Helen. It isn't just financially. You guys need to be backed in every aspect. But I'm going to yeah. tell you something interesting. We've created an environment that if you look at a kid wrong or you utter the wrong word and you damage him, they want your job. This is ridiculous what's going on in the school system. Absolutely true. Am I, I, spent, am, I, am I right or am I wrong? You're right. I mean, I spent 10 years in Las Vegas teaching in North Las Vegas, which is the most economically depressed area of Clark County uh, at a very economically depressed school. And the... The admin, and I, I know that they're doing the best that they can, but it's the system, it's the structure. You know, teachers are left alone to deal with behavior problems. Parents can be antagonistic. And the sad thing is, is you have students who are there who want to learn, but the, you know, it's these these kids with all these challenges that we are not equipped to handle. We're talking trauma, we're talking emotional damage, where, you know, they're dealing with things, hunger, poverty. And we're told to focus on educating them when they're dealing with things that we're just, we're not equipped to, to handle. You know what, and, Helen, you know, what's interesting is that, and I go back and I say this all the time because it's a highly relevant comment that I keep trying to make people understand the significance of. The population grew 135 million since 1970. It mm-hmm. grew 50 million since the year 2000. With the growth of, of the country comes the problems with it exponentially. We're just speaking to that. And, you know, I want to say one thing to you. You know, I don't know how you're supposed to teach a child when they come from a family unit that's riddled with dysfunction. I know nobody knows better than this, than you or my sister. You guys already, you're you're coming into this game with one hand tied behind your back. You've got dysfunctional parents. You wonder why the kids are bouncing like basketballs in your classroom. Don't look at the kid. Look at the parent. That's where it comes from. 
I tell my wife, when I go up to these school environments, I don't look at the kids. I look at the parents. The parents paint the picture for the children. You know, we're living in a society today, if I may, Helen, and I didn't mean to cut you off. No no boundaries, no consequences. That's, That's resonating throughout the culture. The criminal element, the educational environment, everywhere you turn. You, you cross our borders. You violate our laws. It is a criminal act to enter or remain unlawfully in the United States. And now we're talking about rewarding you with $450,000 because you created an environment where it was necessary to remand you so we could account for you. Nothing we do is right today. You know, this is the problem. Uh, Helen, can I take a quick break and I want to come back to you because I want to discuss this more in depth and I want to hear more of your concerns And I'd like you to educate everyone as to where these problems are. People just are oblivious to it. And you know what else? Before I go to break, the parents are happy to take their children, problems and all, and put them in your doorstep. Am I right or am I wrong? No, it's true. And we're often told it's your job to manage them. It's your job to educate them. Well, it's your job to educate them. And and managing them, that has a very loose, ambiguous application to it. You know how they used to manage me in school? When you cross the, a line, they knocked the living hell out of you and stuffed you in a locker. And I'm not, and I'm not kidding. That yeah. was management. You guys can't look at them. I don't know how you're supposed to manage them. We're going to be right back, guys. This Helen's gotten me rolling here today. <laughs> All right. You're going to get it. Um, we'll be right back, guys. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to our betweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home comfort of your home just pick out the items you'd like they'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to another great concept very user-friendly and i'll be honest we use it also it's very effective and they're very very good they're very uh, on point we're back ladies and gentlemen and i remind everyone please go to our website betweenthelines.tv and i have with me today a very highly intelligent educator who's very well-traveled as, as well, you know, has experience in Las Vegas and, and in the school systems quite extensively, and she's experiencing a lot of the frustrations and lack of support that is resonating through this country regarding our teachers, the lack of compensation, the lack of support, the fact that you're basically becoming, I would, I would say, almost the guiding force for many children that come from dysfunctional families. I mean, I am... Mm-hmm. very knowledgeable as to what's going on in the educational system. And I just said something in lighthearted, so to speak, that was in fact true. There were mm-hmm. consequences when I was in school. We didn't question the authorities of teach the authority of teachers. Did uh, teachers overstep the boundaries? At times they did, just like cops. I witnessed it all. Mm-hmm. The problem today is the pendulum has swung too far in the opposite direction. And the amount of responsibility that's put on the shoulders of the teachers, it's not proportionate to the compensation they receive monetarily. Is that a fair statement? I Ellen? agree. Thank you. I agree. And I want to add, can I, can I add something? You can add whatever you like. This is my <laughs> show. You can talk as much as you want. I want to point out that I know of no other field, professional field, in which a person is evaluated based on how another, how another individual performs. 
But that's how teachers are evaluated. We're evaluated on how students perform. When, I mean, we have some influence over their performance, but so much of it has to do with, as you mentioned before, their home environment, the support they're getting at home, the values they're being taught, um, and whether or not they're being held accountable for behavior in school that interferes with their learning. So I, I don't know of any other field in which, uh, you know, someone is evaluated over how somebody else performs other than education. And, and really, Helen, to, to just synopsize this is how grossly unfair this is because they're judging you based mm-hmm. on sometimes parental failure. But you know what else is interesting? You know, we're watching the law enforcement community, community today. They're talking about um, uh, defunding them and holding them more accountable, which translates at times to a loss of uh, gainful employment, which could dramatically impact your family and your children, and even incarceration. Mm-hmm. I don't know of another job that when you get up in the morning and you're of best intention, you walk into one slippery um, set of circumstances that they decide to videotape on their mobile phones and then send it in an edited fashion to a media outlet and they just run with it recklessly because they're mm-hmm. worried about their ratings and their sponsors, which translates to their abusive, overpaid yeah. uh, salaries. And you think the cops are going to work for you? Your teachers yeah. aren't working. The cops aren't working. We're losing the fire department in New York right now as they're trying to mandate vaccines. I don't want to go off on a tangent with you, but we're off track in a lot of areas in this country. I'm questioning why it took them so long to become concerned about our first responders, for example, our teachers and our healthcare workers to be vaccinated. The vaccination's been there almost a year. Yeah. And, these, and these men and women have been going into harm's way. If I told you the number of teachers... Mm-hmm. and cops that I know that have been infected by this virus, it mm-hmm. would astound you. I it guess the, the, the light went on, and now now we're in division again. But um, uh, I want to ask you about something. Sure. Suddenly, we have the Attorney General of the United States, who, by the way, I want to remind everyone, everyone, he's the highest-ranking law enforcement official in the country. Scary notion. Has suddenly decided to empower the FBI to investigate parents that we've categorized as domestic terrorists. Okay. Yeah. What do you think about this? Well, I wish I were a little bit more informed about the subject area. Um, I'm sorry, Lou, I don't have, I don't think I have an opinion on it because I just don't feel I have a good grasp on the issue. That's all right. And and that's a fair answer and, and an answer that I respect. I'll give you just a little bit of insight. Apparently, some I, of the, the uh, go ahead, say something, Helen. Helen? Say, listen, I don't care where you come from. If you have a, if you are a student in my class, I'm going to do my best to educate you. I'm, I'm there to help you grow as a person, grow uh, educationally, who your parents are and what they do. You know, that only affects me in terms of how I'm able to help the student learn in my classroom. I, I'm teaching whoever shows up. Yeah. That's that's my philosophy as an educator. And, and as I mentioned earlier, oftentimes you're handicapped by, by failed parenting. Uh, Helen, I do want to ask you this question. Where did you go to school, may I ask? Well, it, it's interesting. I went to a magnet school in St. Petersburg, Florida, an arts magnet school. So I actually have a background in fine arts. Uh, and then I went to um, fine arts school to get my degree, uh, bachelor's degree. And then I went into education and got my master's in education. 
in English. So I took the the long route to to education. My sister did the same thing. In fact, I'll tell you an interesting story about her, about reinventing yourself. My sister Mm -hmm. graduated high school. My dad, unfortunately, he was born in 1912, and the mentality towards women of that generation of men was, you know, you go out, graduate high school, and get a job as a secretary, which my sister did to some point. And um, through, through the course of a couple of failed marriages, suddenly started realizing that, you know, she had dependency upon other people to an extent she shouldn't have. She mm. went back to school in her mid-30s, undergraduate, graduated, and her master's degree. And like, as I mentioned to you earlier, she's running two private schools. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, my thing is that, and, and I'll tell you an interesting dynamic that I'm dealing with. My wife, I make you laugh, uh, Helen, I got married for the first time at 54. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm not a real proponent of matrimony, organized religion. There's a few of these places I got sticking points with because of how failed and faulted they are. Mm. But nonetheless, my wife had two little girls, which I took on like they were my own. And I proudly tell you, everywhere I went, people thought they were my own because that's how I treat children. They're children. They're entitled to this. And I broke their bananas, and I still do about education. You ready? I said, yeah. go to school, get your education. You'll be beholden to no man, right? Yeah. The oldest girl just graduated FSU, got a good job, relocated to Austin, Texas. I took her there. Interesting city, Austin, transitional. Mm-hmm. And the younger one is about to start Florida State University, which is yeah. where the older one graduated from. Yeah. Emphasis on education. You yeah. can't overemphasize, but you know we're overburdening you and undercompensating you yeah. But we're doing that a lot of places today, by the way, that are essential to the core of this country and to the yeah. core development of our children. I have I, to let you go. I oh, know. Good. I want to give you the opportunity. One last question, uh, Helen, and, and, and or comment. I just want to let uh, I want your your viewers, your your listeners to understand that, you know, educators are we're not doing this, obviously, for the money. Uh, we care about kids. We want to see them grow. We want to see them you know, be healthy, educated. We care about society. And, you know, I hope that people will start looking at supporting schools as an essential civic duty again. Yeah, we're in transition. We're at, we're at crossroads, uh, Helen. I think you realize that yourself. We're at, a, we're at an interesting point in time in, in the history of this country, and we need clearer thinking and cooler heads. And um, I do want to thank you for, you know, taking on the responsibility you have in educating our children. I don't know of anything that's any more important than that, to be honest, protecting them, educating them, guiding them, you know, forming their context in which they're going to live and their perceptions, an incredible amount of responsibility. I I hope, I hope that you call back in again, Helen. I I may, I just may. Thanks again for my question. My pleasure. Thank you for calling in. We're going to be right back guys. And when we do, we're going to hit some emails. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to our betweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart. Another interesting concept, you can go to your favorite grocery store, sign on to their application without leaving your home, 
the comfort of your home. Just pick out the items you'd like. They'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to. Another great concept, very user-friendly, and I'll be honest, we use it also. It's very effective, and they're very, very good. They're very uh, on point. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. I do want to remind you, you can find us at BetweenTheLines.tv. I encourage you to participate. You know, we're trying to change the conversation, strike up a chord of reason, logic, common sense, decency, and the truth. Marcus from Flagstaff sent in an email. He's asking me, Lou, I listened to your segment with stunt coordinator Rich Hopkins regarding the Alec Baldwin situation. In your opinion, will this change the protocols to handling firearms on the set moving forward? And with your law enforcement background, what changes would you recommend, if any? Hmm. Let's see. Where do you want to start with this one, guys? So very quickly, there's an investigation going on. They're trying to determine culpability. They're trying to determine if there's criminality attached to any of these acts. Um, California has already begin, began to enact a law that will prohibit any firearm that is an actual live firearm and can be used as such when being placed on movie sets. This is like trying to make things idiot-proof. The key to this is education. You must educate people for basic rules, which I'm going to go over for everyone very quickly. Always treat firearms like they're loaded. Point them in safe directions. Keep your finger off the trigger and never point a firearm at anything you do not intend on shooting. It would be marvelous if we just, in general, educated the crews on these sets and, and the actors and actresses. And with that being said, our whole population, which seems, seems to be acquiring weapons, these firearms in mass numbers, I think you're going to see a change in protocol. You know, there was a, a, a failure in the system here. The person who was empowered and whose services were retained to manage this firearms issue failed. And that person, I believe, is in peril of criminal prosecution. I know Alec Baldwin is a rather colorful and controversial individual. Your personal feelings about him do not matter. My opinion regarding Alec is a simple one. He bears no responsibility. I will say this, though, and I think Alec knows this going forward, and I don't mean to speak for him. He is gun literate. He did movies like The Getaway, where there are quite a number of firearms being used, shotguns, types of long arms, handguns. I think he did a movie called Miami Heat, perhaps, in which he was again um, engaged with firearms. I know that he's literate. Maybe what we need to teach the individuals that are having these firearms handed to them, how to clear and check them, you know. But the bottom line is this. Someone was empowered to make sure that the proper munition, whether it was a blank squib load or an active round, live round, was not inserted or was inserted into this firearm that he handled, which I'm familiar with. It's referred to as a single action type weapon. They Colt made them around this time of the century, that century, they called them single action army pistols. Has a very unique manner in which you can load it. And I really don't understand how this mistake occurred. But the bottom line is, regardless of what I understand or don't understand, the civil liability is astronomical. The emotional liability is astronomical. And I do think they should anticipate a criminal prosecution. That's my opinion. Um, you cannot overemphasize education when you're in the environment of firearms. You know, I listened to the media jump onto something about, um, the, you know, there were 
live ammunition on the set. You should be able to have live cannon shells on the set. You need to learn how to manage these these items and segregate them. You know, I don't understand how they became commingled to begin with. If you guys went out to the desert in, in New Mexico to shoot cans or buzzards or whatever the hell it was that entertained you, that has nothing to do with the fact that somehow a mistake was made and they commingled live ammunition with ammunition that was designed and put on the set for the purpose of the production of this movie. This is what we call systemic failure. So you will see changes. I alluded to one. California is going to implement it as soon as they possibly can because that's the nature of the state. <clears throat> Not sure if I agree with it. Um, I don't think the exercise is to make things idiot-proof. You have to educate people. Firearms inherently don't do bad things. It's when people get involved that we start to have problems, either because of their intent or their negligence or their recklessness you know, or as I mentioned, intentional. You know, I'm, I'm starting to talk to you about what quantifies or, or qualifies as culpability. So you are going to see change. You're going to see, I believe, a massive uh, educational process. I think they should start to include in the budget people that are not just armorers but technical advisors in the handling of firearms because I don't know what qualifies a person to be an armorer. You know, an armorer to me, based on my experience in law enforcement, is a person that knows how to maintain and repair firearms. That person necessarily doesn't train. In other words, in the police departments in New York, you can be an armorer, but that doesn't make you qualified to train active law enforcement agents in the safe handling of firearms and subsequently their qualification to carry them for work purposes. So there's a bigger conversation coming our way. I am surprised we're not further along with this investigation. I do not want to be too harsh or too critical of any of the law enforcement agencies in New Mexico. Um, I suspect they know what they're doing. I'm hearing, and I don't know if this is true, but they've requested laboratories from the FBI and FBI to support in general. And I think that's a step in the right direction because the FBI are brilliant investigators and they have the best labs on the planet. So I hope that answered your question. I wish I had you in a conversation so that you could have an exchange with me, but I'm, I'm hoping that satisfies you. So we're going to be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with another email. I do want to remind you, please go to betweenthelines.tv. You can find us on Spotify and Apple. I want to thank Instacart and uh, Buzzsprout. Be right back. If you're a podcaster, I can't say enough good things about Buzzsprout. That is how we distribute our show. And to learn more about them, go to our betweenthelines.tv. I do want to explain one thing about Buzzsprout. Very user-friendly. And as you know, we incorporated ourselves. So if you're inclined to create your own uh, podcast and you want some real good support mechanism, we would tell you entertain Buzzsprout. They're very, very good. And as I said, we use them. Instacart, another interesting concept. You can go to your favorite grocery stores, sign on to their application without leaving your home comfort of your home just pick out the items you'd like they'll assign a personal shopper for you and deliver them to the point that you would like them delivered to another great concept very user-friendly and i'll be honest we use it also it's very effective and they're very very good they're very uh, on point we're back ladies and gentlemen and i've got a a rather interesting email a little comedy attached to it although i'm not sure it was intended amy from new york asks or mentions new york Ready? 
9-11 brought New Yorkers closer together and more united, but the pandemic has separated us and created more of a divide. Why do you think that is? Got an answer for you. Um, is it because real New Yorkers finally moved away from the city and left the rats behind to rob, fight, and pillage? Or is this for another reason? Hmm. Well, let me, let me hold, that, hold that right there, senor producer. So in reference to the divide, the divide is a byproduct of the media outlets and our elected officials' decision to politicize the pandemic. That's where there is the divide in New York and, by the way, throughout the United States. Instead of us galvanizing our efforts, putting our differences aside, thinking about our children and the ramifications they might suffer from this, we chose to weaponize this to undermine the credibility of a sitting president. Backfired horrifically. That's the problem with the pandemic. If you study history, starting with George Washington, typhoid, smallpox, through the course of history, measles, mumps, rubella, H1N1, that's right, I think it was 1955 polio, right? We developed vaccines, people went out and became vaccinated. They have put doubt on your mind based on the way this has been politically presented to you. That is the problem, Amy. It's a very simple explanation. It's once again systemic failure. We have people who are over-empowered. More importantly, we have people listening to them that should not take everything they hear as dogma. I tell people on a consistent basis, please do not take anything that I say to you, no matter how well I present it to you, how articulate I am or well-informed, and just accept it. Don't let me spoon-feed you. Same thing with our media outlets. And I don't care which one it is, conservative, liberal, or other. Now... In reference to New Yorkers leaving, that's the byproduct of the pandemic, but it's also the byproduct of the crime. The crime in New York, contrary to what they would like people to think, is just going through the roof. Street robberies. It is literally unsafe to board a subway in the city of New York. We're having incidents every single day, contrary to what they disseminate in information. <laughs> now you're asking, did they leave the rats behind to rob, fight, and pillage? I don't know if they did that intentionally. I just think that's the fallout of mismanagement. You know, I don't like these contentious discussions. I don't like being openly critical about individuals in positions of power. But I do have to say one thing, that the current mayor in the city of New York, in his term, has dismantled the greatest city in the history of civilization. And I am gravely concerned as to whether or not it will return. This problem with crime is almost indescribable. It is compounded by a New York bail reform law that was signed by the governor. It's a state law, not a city law. It has a dramatic impact in the city of New York because it's basically made the criminal justice system a revolving door for violent offenders. This is the truth. Don't take me on my word. Go out and learn for yourself. Develop some investigative tools. These smartphones that we have, guys, these little devices here, you can find out a whole lot of information on these things through different search engines. I encourage you to do that, not just accept everything I say as being 100% factual. I need you to believe what I say. You will do that when you have confirmation through your own efforts. As far as New Yorkers leaving, it just kind of makes sense. You know, there was one thing that pigeonholed the system that people may not be aware of. 
the density of population in a very confined space. I lived in the city. I no longer live there. I took my wife and children out. It just isn't feasible. It's not safe, period. 60-story buildings with 8 and 10 apartments on the floor. Tell me how you're going to have distancing. I'm listening. You're not. You have to get in elevators with multiple people. You're not having distancing. The streets are saturated with people and vehicles. It's just a voluminous environment, New York City, and are most other major cities. Now, what further pigeonholes New York is we have a population of 8.6 million people, roughly. San Francisco, about 780,000. Boston, about 650,000. Getting the feeling. Um, Philadelphia is a million and a half. I just said 8.6 million people. The density of population in a confined space made the transmission of the disease more easily, I would say, executed. That's all. Now, there's something else to be said about this thing. No secret, we have a lot of minority communities in New York. The, the, those who suffered the most as a result of the mismanagement of this pandemic are our minority communities, which is usually the case. You know, the shootings are going up predominantly in minority communities, and we're having children shot that are minorities. This is disgusting what we're living today. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to call the government out or the mayor in the city of New York or anyone else. I don't have time, folks. I'm just trying to get people to start to think and understand what is going on here as opposed to what they'd like you to think is going on here because that just isn't accurate. The city is in peril. The thing that's interesting about New York is it's very financially resilient. I don't know if we're going to escape this crime problem. I'm going to touch on something very briefly that many people are aware of and they speak to. Ready? 70s and 80s, crime was going through the roof. Okay? I want to first say something so you understand the political mechanism in a city. Your police are only as effective as they are supported by the political government running it. De Blasio is what we call prima facie evidence. He's pulled the legs out from under law enforcement, period. Cops aren't going to do their jobs as long as you threaten to take their pensions and their financial stability and even threaten them with incarceration. They're not going to work for you. You need to get that through your heads. When you call them, don't expect to see them for a half hour. This is the truth, okay? And at times, certain law enforcement representatives, those who represent PBAs, like in Chicago, they use the term laying back, admitted they're laying back. What would anybody, why would anybody think someone's going to take on this type of profession and by the end of the day risk being in handcuffs when you went out there to protect people? This is like insanity. But you know what the problem is here, guys? In organized crime, and I'm not an organized crime proponent nor a member, they have an expression, the fish thinks from the head down. Look at the head of the fish. Look at your major cities. Look who's running them. I hate to say this to you because when the president was elected, my attitude is very simple. I support the president. And, um, you know, I hope he has a great administration. That doesn't appear to be what's happening. I go back and tell you, we're in a very tenuous situation and we're at a crossroad. Um, For those who aren't following New York politics, I'll give you a little insight. We have a gentleman by the name of Eric Adams, who was a captain in the police department. Rather contentious gentleman, smart, smart man, is going to be the mayor because the Republicans have not propped up anybody in opposition. Curtis Sliwa is not a Republican. He is not endorsed by the Republican Party. You know, I think he was well-intended at one point with this whole guardian angel routine on the subways to help address or mitigate the crime there. And they they were effective, to be fair to him. 
What Eric Adams is going to do, I have no idea. Unless they repeal this bail reform in the state of New York, or they somehow figure out how to neutralize his own people. Democratic, liberal, progressive thinking people that do not believe we should have boundaries or consequences. Who thinks that not prosecuting certain demographics because of their indigent circumstances is a form of reparation. It isn't. You're putting the entire city at peril. If you want to help the minority community, have a sit down with me because I can show you how to do it. And it isn't that heavy a lift. It's an expensive lift and it requires manpower, but it's very doable. Perhaps one of the problems we're facing in the culture, which lends itself to the divide on top of this nonsense with our elected officials, is the fact that black America, for for example, has no reason to believe that white America cares about them. Because I don't think they do. I don't think there's systemic prejudice. I don't think, I think there's a lot of indifference. I think they're happy to compartmentalize them in parts of the Bronx or Bedford-Stuyvesant, you know, Brooklyn North or Harlem, or any of these other communities, and just not want to deal with it. Our day of reckoning has come. We have to face where we drop the ball, and go back and reinvent the minority community. Stop allowing them to live in disparity. I tell people, you don't have to live with anyone you don't want to live with. Blacks don't have to live with whites, the Irish with the Italians. Nobody's got to live with anybody they don't want to live with, but everyone has to live on parity. And part of the solution to this that I will speak to very quickly, the government needs to start to allocate funds to the major cities first so these children get into environments where they learn. Okay, Amy? Streets have to be safer so you don't have to worry about our children becoming collateral damage to the knuckleheads running around indiscriminately discharging firearms. The housing blows in the inner city. I know I lived in it in Brooklyn and Bedford-Stuyvesant. I was the only white kid on the block. Just people don't know this about me and it's none of their damn business, but it's worth sharing with you so you understand how literate I am in this area. Their medical is substandard and so is their diet. The government needs to fork over some money and I would say voluntarily, not through mandate, all these big companies like Facebook and all these companies that are making ridiculous amounts of money need to fork over voluntarily money. I don't suggest we mandate it because that lends itself to more of a a progressive thinking and uh, somewhat like communistic. We're not going to take from those who do well and just indiscriminately give to others. I'd like to see you be your brother's keeper because I believe in that. There's a fix to all this, Amy. But to go back to your question, this was the byproduct of politics. This was the byproduct, byproduct, excuse me, of individuals so preoccupied with power that they took their eye off the ball. And I have to tell you the worst part about this, this harmed our children. It isn't good for children to be sitting in their house seven days a week, 24 hours a day, trying to learn where there's no separation from the learning environment. And by the way, we can't let you out because you got to have social distancing. The truth has been muddled. Amy, I think you'll agree with that. Do me a favor, Amy. Next time, don't email me. Pick up the phone and call me because... You're entitled to have a better exchange than my response to your email. And you're obviously well aware of what's going on in New York. Call me next time. I hope that that, you know, answered that question for you as well. And I'm not trying to be comedic. There's nothing funny about this. We are in trouble in this country, whether people want to realize it or not. 
Many of us are living in a cocoon and we're distanced or removed away from these problems. But believe me, they're going to come knocking on your door. You got a little bit of a taste of it after the, uh, the George Floyd incident in Minneapolis, which I'm not going to go off on a tangent and critique that incident. But I've got to say goodbye to everyone. Unfortunately, I'm getting cued and you guys can tell I'm continuing to speak much longer and much more in depth than I'm, I'm allowed to by that producer of mine. Um, but I thank you for joining us today. And I do want to remind you, please join us at BetweenTheLines.tv. Find us on Spotify, Apple. I do want to thank Instacart and Buzzsprout again for supporting us. I remind you, you can um, see us on YouTube as well. You know, my name is Lou and this has been Between the Lines. I don't mind you calling me Lou. I like the lack of formality, you know. The rest of it's all smoke and mirrors. See you guys next week. Next week.